You are listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. Good morning, everyone. As we return to our seats and stand with our Bibles, I'm going to go ahead and read today's passage from Philippians chapter 4, verse 14 through 20. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves, know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, when you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. All right, well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. Good to gather together on this Sunday with you and open up God's word. I'm grateful just to be able to do this week in and week out. So before we do that, before we jump into Philippians 4 this morning, let's just go to the Lord in prayer and, uh, and ask him to bless this time. Father, we come before you this morning and we just want to give you praise. We want to give you thanks. We want to worship you and exalt your name today. You are faithful, God. You're faithful even when we are not faithful. And so God, I pray this morning as we open up your word, I pray that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit. I pray that you'd open up our, our eyes and our ears, that our hearts and our minds would be ready to receive what you would have for us today, knowing that this is your word given to us as a gift, that we might know more about who you are, that we might know more about who we are. So God, I pray that you would do that today in us. And I pray that as we receive your word this morning, that you would realign the entirety of our lives to worship you. As God, we come before you this morning to worship you, but often throughout the week we can struggle to do just that, being distracted and focused on other things besides you. So God, I pray by the work of your spirit this morning that you would just do that work, that you would realign the entirety of our lives to worship you and make much of you in our world. We give you thanks for this time, and we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. One of uh, my most favorite and I think best classes that I took when I was in college was a class called Family Financial Management. Family Financial Management is a whole class that taught anything and everything from how to create and maintain a budget, how to do your taxes, the difference between a Roth IRA and a traditional IRA, how to do investing. And I loved a lot of my classes in college. I enjoyed being in college, but this was by far one of the most practical classes that I took during that time because it gave real world experience and helped, us to, helped me to understand what it looked like to be a, a responsible adult. A principle of investing that we learned that applies to individuals and organizations is looking into and figuring out an estimated ROI. An ROI is a return on investment. 
before you make a financial decision, thinking through all of that. And the basic idea of an ROI is that you want to figure out how much you're going to get out of an investment in comparison to how much you've put into it. It helps you figure out if the risk and cost is worth it. And so a high ROI means that the gains are much greater than the initial cost. Well, as we come to our text today, as we're wrapping up the book of Philippians, we've been in this book now for several months, and we're coming to the very end of it. What we see is that when it comes to investing in the advancement of the kingdom of God, the ROI is extremely high. And Paul takes this moment at the end of this glorious letter to encourage the Philippians, to encourage them because of their partnership in the gospel and their faithful generosity. Now, as we look at this text, we, we can see there's no direct command given to us. But that doesn't mean that we can't learn from the Philippians' example. It doesn't mean we can't learn from Paul's encouragement for our own lives. See, my hope is, is that what we'll see in this is that you and I have the same opportunity to advance the gospel with our generosity. And that we too, like the Philippians, will be a radically generous church made up of radically generous people. Brothers and sisters, Philippians 4, 14 through 20 is God's word for you today. It's God's word for you, for your good and for your joy. So may he give us those ears to hear, those eyes to see, and hearts and minds to receive what he has for us today. So with that, let's jump into Philippians chapter 4. Last week, we looked at verses 10 through 13, and we saw in 10 through 13 of chapter 4, Uh, how Paul has shared about his own journey towards contentment. That contentment is not something based on stellar circumstances in your life, but it's based on the faithfulness of God and the greatness of Jesus. Contentment is not what comes naturally to us. It's something that has to be learned and pursued, especially in a world that preys on your discontentedness. Paul has learned contentment, he says. And he's able then to endure and persevere in any and all circumstances, whether things are going really well or are really difficult. But he doesn't do that by some inner strength within himself. He does it through Christ who strengthens him. Now, he got into this subject of contentment by way of rejoicing in the Lord over the Philippians' concern for him. Look back at verse 10 in Philippians chapter 4. Paul says to the Philippians, he said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So he's been talking about that, and then he kind of goes off on this tangent talking about contentment. But in our text today, he comes back to that thought in verse 10. He's learned to be content no matter what the situation is, whether he has a lot or a little. But then verse verse 14 says, yet... So this is a connecting verse, linking these two passages together. Yet you, the Philippians, have provided financially for me. Paul says they shared in his trouble. And so this is not just a matter of sharing in the spiritual sense, but sharing in a very practical financial sense for Paul. The Philippian church helped provide for Paul's physical needs as he sat in a prison cell. Jeff referenced this last week that in Roman prisons, they weren't like the prison system of our own day, that a prisoner had to provide for his own needs. If he wanted to be able to have food to eat and be taken care of, someone else had to provide for him to be able to do that. So the Philippians were some of those people that helped Paul. 
But that's not the only time and it's not the only way that they exemplified this radical generosity. As we get into our text this morning, I want to break this down into a few different sections, three main points that we see and can learn from in this text from the Philippians example for our own life. And we see this first point in verses 15 through 16. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. What we see in these verses is that your generosity displays your ecclesiology. Your generosity displays your ecclesiology. Now, ecclesiology, it sounds like a big word, but it's just shorthand for what you believe about the church. What do you believe about the church? Let's look at verses 15 and 16. Paul says, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. See, the Philippians didn't just support Paul financially while he was in prison. They supported Paul's missionary endeavors, his church planting endeavor, since Paul first brought the gospel to them and they placed their faith in Christ and they believed. The good news of the gospel that Paul came to them to speak to them is that Jesus is the Son of God who came to live a perfect life on this earth and went to a cross to take on the punishment for all of our sin and all of our shame and was crucified on that cross but didn't stay dead, was raised again from the grave to give us life forever and ever if we would trust and follow in him. Paul came to them and he brought this gospel message to them. And it's in that moment as they first believe, as they first become followers of Jesus, that they partner up with Paul to take the gospel to others. I mean, do you remember their story of how this church came into existence in the first place? When we started this sermon series several months ago, we talked about this story. And so as we end it, I think it's important for us to remember who these people are. Paul and Barnabas were sent out from the church at Antioch, another local church. These two brothers were raised up to be sent out with a church planting team to go and reach people who had not yet heard the good news of Christ. Eventually, two other people joined them. Timothy and Silas joined Paul. And in Acts chapter 16, we see that the Holy Spirit leads Paul and his team to Macedonia. It leads them to the city of Philippi. And Paul and Silas go into the town along with Timothy, and they're trying to find people to interact with, to talk to them about Jesus. And they encounter Lydia, a woman who's a seller of purple goods. She's well off, a businesswoman in the community, and they share Jesus with her. And she trusts in Christ and she starts following Jesus and she goes and she shares Jesus with her family and her whole family comes to know Christ and they're all baptized. They're brought into this now forming new church in this city that did not exist before. Right after that, we see the slave girl who's possessed by a demon. That demon is cast out of her. She comes to know and follow Christ and be brought into this community. And then the Philippian jailer who's put in charge of watching over Paul as he sits in prison And through crazy circumstances, cries out, what do I need to do to be saved? How do I come into relationship with this God that you're talking about? And Paul shares with him, you need to trust in Christ. And the Philippian jailer comes to know Jesus, and he shares Jesus with his family, and they come to know Christ as well, and they're baptized and brought into this church, this small little church growing in this big city. And as Paul left them to continue taking the good news of Jesus to other cities and places, preaching and planting churches, it was this infantile Philippian church full of new followers of Jesus 
who sent him resources to be able to do, continue to do the work of making disciples. They didn't take long for them to get that they needed to be a part of what Paul was doing. See, the crazy thing is, though, that they seem to be the only church to get it. Paul says, no other church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving. This phrase, giving and receiving, is normally used in business transactions, but this is not some type of business relationship. It's a participatory partnership. Partnership is key. It's about partnering together in the gospel, working together for the advancement of the gospel, taking the good news of Christ to those who have not yet heard or believed. See, the Philippians didn't see themselves as being uninvolved, but intimately involved in what God is doing. This wasn't a one-time thing for them. They didn't say, well, Paul, we're really excited. Thanks for coming to our city to share Jesus with us. Here's a check. I hope things go well for you. No, this is an ongoing response to giving to what Paul is doing to take the gospel to others. And they didn't need to be compelled to partner in the gospel. This is something they were excited to do, regularly partnering with him to make much of Jesus. See, this little church of new followers of Christ This little church with humble beginnings grasped a key truth right away. And it's this, that the local church, the local church is God's plan A for making disciples. The local church is God's plan A for reaching the world. The church that we see in Ephesians chapter 3 that Paul says the church is the one who has the manifold wisdom of God that is preaching the good news of Jesus to those around them. In Ephesians chapter 5, it's the church that Jesus died for. This is the bride of Christ, the blood-bought bride of Jesus, the local church that, that is coming together to do this work. Jesus gives the call and command in Matthew chapter 28 to go into all the world and make disciples. And then we see in the book of Acts over and over again the formation of the local church and the sending posture of the local church to start more and more and more churches. Friends, it isn't organizations or disconnected individuals following Jesus. Churches plant churches and send missionaries. And it's the local church, the collective and covenant community of redeemed people that provide financial support to make that a reality. You see, too often I think we privatize our generosity. We individualize our generosity. But friends, nowhere in the New Testament do we see a call for the individual church member to give to the individual missionary or church planter. Nowhere do we see that. The picture and example throughout the scriptures is always of the church bringing their resources together, bringing their resources together to meet needs and make much of Jesus. The Philippian church is a prime example for us. See, the Philippians' generosity displayed their ecclesiology, that they indeed believe that the local church is God's plan A for reaching the world. They were personal recipients of local church ministry. It was the church of Antioch who supported Paul and sent him and Barnabas out to go and take the gospel to them. So they've received the benefit of local church ministry, and now they want to be a part of it going forward. And brothers and sisters, that's been our story and our experience as well. When Sojourn began, 
gathering together as a local church in late 2012, we were sent out from a local church in Arlington, Virginia. And we were sent out with a small group of men and women who were committed to seeing a new church started here in Fairfax that would exist to glorify God by making disciples. Disciples who know the gospel, who live out the implications of the gospel and share the message of the gospel. But this church that sent us out, they didn't just pray for us and wish us well and say, hey, I hope it works out well for you guys. No, they also financially supported us. Along with several other churches and people, money was given to us from outside of our local church. Money was given so that this church could exist. And without that generosity from these other churches, we wouldn't be here today, gathering together. But see, these supporting churches, they weren't mega churches with millions of dollars. They were faithful churches who believed that God's plan A for making disciples is the local church. So like the Philippians, we are just one story, one church in a long line of church planting churches. And what that has done is that's led us, like the Philippians, even in the midst of trials and difficulty, even in the midst of the ups and the downs of life and ministry and community together, it's led us to continue to be faithful to this calling of advancing the gospel through our generosity. See, we believe that all of our resources, all of our budget, are for the goal of making disciples, every aspect of it, whether that's staff that we're paying to be ministering full-time or part-time in our church or renting to be able to gather together in this place that we're in right now or other resources we have, that every aspect of our budget is for the goal and the purpose of making disciples. But from the beginning, we have sought to not keep all of those resources here, to, to just encourage and make disciples here, but also to give away our resources so that other churches can be planted and disciples made of our neighbors in the nations. Because as a church, collectively, we believe that the church is God's plan A. And as a church, our generosity displays that belief. And so God has allowed us the privilege. He's allowed us the, the opportunity of partnering together with others to plant more and more churches So as I was thinking about this this week and and reflecting on what Paul's saying here and thinking about our own story and our own life, I I just was like, man, this is crazy what God has allowed us to be a part of. And so I want to celebrate that with you as I share it with you this morning. Sojourn Church is six and a half years old to the day. But listen to this. In this time, if you've been a part of of this church in any point in time over this last six and a half years, you have directly financially supported the church at Bergen being planted in Bergen County, New Jersey, in Sojourn Church planted in Chattanooga, Tennessee, in Vita Nova Church in Amherst, Massachusetts, in Transit Church in Kingstown, Virginia, in Union Church in Washington, D.C., and Mercy of Christ Fellowship in Washington, D.C., and New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia, and Mission Church in Norfolk, Virginia, and Village Church in Belfast, Ireland, and Toyosu Community Church in Japan. And then through the Sojourn Network, another church planting network that we're a part of, we are currently helping support and plant 19 other new churches. Brothers and sisters, do you you understand this? When you give sacrificially to this church, you have been a part of planting and supporting 29 other gospel-preaching churches. 
That means that right now, rough estimates, that means that all those churches, those 29 churches are gathering together on a Sunday morning. That's roughly 3,000, probably that's conservative, 3,000 people gathering together right now hearing the good news of Christ preached and proclaimed to them. You have been a part of that. Partnering together to see the name of Christ made much of. In addition to that, we've been able to support the equipping of pastors in Haiti, of serving the homeless in our community, of supporting missionaries and church planters overseas through the International Mission Board and sending out our own missionary and church plant directly from our church. Now, if you're a numbers person, check this out. In six and a half years, what that means is is that our church has given away approximately $330,000 for the gospel going forward. That's almost a year's worth of our current budget that we've just straight up given away to other people. Man, that's exciting. That's that's an amazing reality that your generosity as we come together displays your ecclesiology, that you believe that God's plan A for reaching our neighbors and the nations is the local church. So thank you. Thank you for faithfully giving to the mission of God through the church. And friends, if you're not giving, you're missing out on this. You're missing out on being a part of this. See, Paul is expressing thanks for the Philippians' generosity. But in doing, he's doing so by encouraging them and reminding them of what it is that they've done, what they've been a part of. And most importantly, how God himself sees it. Which leads to our second point. The first thing we see is that your generosity displays your ecclesiology. Secondly, from verses 17 through 18, we see that your generosity is a window into your heart and worship. Your generosity is a window into your heart and worship. Look at verses 17 and 18. Paul says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Though the Philippians have been faithful partners, though they've provided financial support for fruitful ministry, that's not Paul's focus. He says in verse 18, he's received full payment and more. He's well supplied. Paul is not trying to manipulate the Philippians into giving again. And I'm not trying to do that either. God has provided and he will provide. What we have to see in this is there's opportunity for us. Opportunity to worship our God and blessing that's available to us. Paul says that his focus is, is seeking the fruit that increases to their credit. Or, as another translation says, it's seeking the profit that accrues to their account. What Paul's telling them is, is that they have a high ROI. As they've invested in the advancement of the kingdom of God, joyfully sacrificed and given money in order to support their local church and plant and support other local churches, there is a high return on what they've put in. But this isn't some ROI that means you have a larger bank account. No, it's an internal investment that's credited to their account for eternal reward. And Paul's desire for them and his desire for us is that that would increase more and more. And this is similar to what Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, 
where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, Paul's declaring to the Philippians and to us that their generosity and their giving for the advancement of the gospel is an indicator of where their heart and worship is. It's an expression of their love for God and others. It's a demonstration of the fact that the good news of Christ is at work in their midst. They're seeking to live out the implications of the gospel. It's evidence that Christ is at work in their lives, that they understand what it means to know him and follow him with the entirety of their lives. It's evidence that they understand their opportunity and privilege to partner with Jesus and what he's doing in this world to display that Jesus is everything for them. See, their generosity to make disciples and advance the gospel, it isn't just a gift to Paul or to a particular church. It's an offering to God. Now, I don't know, I know, I know some of you and your stories, I don't know everybody's stories about your church background, but I know growing up for me that we often called giving the offering. But we don't talk about that very much anymore. But Paul is using that language of offering to God, and I think this is really important for us to understand because it's true of our generosity as well. Paul says that their giving is a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable to God. And the language here that he uses is really significant. A fragrant offering is one of the highest levels of sacrifice in the Old Testament that is pleasing to God. And Paul is saying that generosity and giving are on the same level as that. It's a sacrifice that's acceptable and pleasing to God. That when we come and we bring those things to say, God, I want you to have this and I want you to use it to make much of yourself. It's like we're bringing the sacrifice before God. It's an offering that we lay before him. And this kind of generosity the Philippians exemplify and Paul is encouraged by is inherently sacrificial then. It it costs you something. It's not giving what's left over if anything is left over. It's saying no to things in order to say yes to the kingdom of God and making disciples. That's what the Philippians were doing. And I know that's the case Because Paul uses them as an example of radical generosity for the Corinthians and for us as well. In the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to a a struggling, kind of wayward, distracted church that is not generous. And his example of helping them grow in their generosity is the Philippians. Listen to this from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul, speaking to the Corinthians, says this, We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given, listen to this, the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. He's talking about the church at Philippi. Now check this out. He says, for in a severe test of affliction, they're going through difficulty. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Man, the language in that is crazy. He says an abundance of joy. We've talked about joy. Paul's called the Philippians to be a joyful people. And the abundance of joy and their, not extreme wealth, extreme poverty, they overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Then he says this, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. The Philippians are crazy with their giving. Radical in their generosity. Man, I want someone to say that about our church. That like 
50 years from now, 100 years from now, they're like, man, this church was crazy. They did, they did silly things when it came to generosity. And Paul is telling them and he's telling us this kind of sacrificial, radical generosity is of the highest value to God. That means it's not secondary. It's not unimportant. It's central to a healthy relationship with the living God. It isn't any less spiritual of an activity of other, as far as other aspects of the Christian life and following Jesus are concerned. Because this generosity towards the work of God through the church of God is an integral part of you becoming more like Jesus. Why? Because it's a discipline. It's a discipline to let go of the temporal things of this world in order to invest in the eternal kingdom that is not of this world. To actually believe that Jesus is better. Paul is reminding us that our investment does not return void in Paul's eyes or God's eyes. Something I want us to recognize from this text, from these few verses here, is that the fruit that increases to their credit isn't just eternal reward, but gospel fruit, the making of more disciples. See, because they're radically generous, God is crediting the fruit of the faithful ministry that they're giving is helping support to them, to their credit, as if they're the ones doing the work. That's, that's crazy. And that's encouraging. Not all of us are going to be able to go plant churches, though I hope some of you will. Not all of us are going to be able to get on an airplane and fly overseas, though I hope some of you will. But we can all partner together in giving to see the gospel go forward. There's opportunity here for us. See, God is honored and pleased by their generosity. He's honored and pleased by your generosity. He's honored and pleased to use our generosity to advance the gospel. He's honored and pleased that you're sacrificing so that others might know Christ and Him crucified. See, Paul's encouragement and the Philippians' example is important for us to pay attention to because money continues to be a significant idol and indication of our worship. What we do with our money, what we do with our resources indicates, as Jesus said, where our heart is. And so it's tempting for us to be able to, to just to hold on to everything we have and not seek to say, God, what do you want me to do with this? I think it's interesting and telling that some of us are more willing to come into a group of brothers and sisters in community and confess our struggles and our temptation towards things like sexual immorality than we are to talk about our bank accounts and what we're doing with our resources. I think it's a lot more of an issue in our lives than we often like to admit. See, what you do with your resources is a window into your heart and your worship. So let me ask you, what does God see in your life when he looks in? Jesus said that Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where does your generosity say your heart is? Now, I know this can be hard to hear. It can be a sobering question to actually consider. But let me encourage you as you're hearing that and thinking about that, that you would invite other people in your life into that conversation with you, to process through that, to think through that. That you'd ask for godly men and women, spirit-filled brothers and sisters who love Jesus to speak wisdom into your life, to be able to open up and share that with one another. Because it's, it's difficult sometimes to figure out what that looks like. And I know I need that in my own life. As the elders of the church, we've been talking about generosity, our own generosity. What does our family's generosity looks like, look like? 
Amy just has been, has been uh, working part-time again, and so we have some additional resources. We've been asking those brothers to hold us accountable that we're continuing to increase our generosity based off more resources that God has given to us. We've been talking together as elders that if we really believe that God's plan A for reaching the world and making disciples, then we need to, for lack of a better term, put our money where our mouth is. If we're going to lead out in that, and so the elders have committed together with one another to hold each other accountable to give at least 10% of our resources to our local church so that we can be faithful to doing that, to make disciples who make disciples. We're keeping one another accountable to that, and we'll call future elders to do the same. Because it can be a great temptation for us to hold on to what we have instead of opening our hands to give so that the gospel might go forward. But Paul has something to say about that too, which leads to our third point. The first point, your generosity displays your ecclesiology. The second point, your generosity is a window into your heart and your worship. And then third and finally, your generosity displays your faith in God. It displays your faith in God. Look at verse 19. Paul says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Advancing the gospel through your generosity is a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and he will supply your every need. Now listen, Paul is not saying this in some kind of health and wealth, false gospel kind of way. That is, continuing to grow in our own country and all around the world. This idea that if you give more to God, he's going to blow up your bank account with tons of cash. That is a false gospel. It is not true. Now, what he's saying here is that God cares for you. See, sometimes we aren't generous with our resources because of a fear that we have, a fear that we're going to lack what we need. And when we fear, we aren't walking by faith in God. We're walking by faith in ourselves or our circumstances. But Paul's saying to the Philippians, he's saying to us, hey, don't forget who it is that supplies all of your need. This is the God of the universe, the one who called everything into existence, who gave you life and breath, who holds your very life in in his hands. This is the God who supplies everything that you need according to not some riches that he has to go out and find. These are his riches in His glory, and in Christ. See, friends, when we are fearful that God is not going to come through, so we kind of hold on to everything, we have to stop and remember that He has already met our greatest need in Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul says there, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, Yet for your sake, he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. That doesn't mean material wealth, material richness. It means rich in grace. If Paul is trying to remind the Corinthians and remind us, encourage the Philippians here, Listen, Paul, I mean, God has given you everything in, that you need in Jesus. You have the riches of his grace in Jesus. Jesus models radical generosity for us. As he lay down his life for our sake. And that is what becomes the motivation for the Philippians. That's what our motivation is. That we've been made rich in Christ, blessed eternally in Christ. He is everything for the Philippians. And I want him to be everything for us. The center of our world, the center of our life. That we would really believe and live as if Jesus really is better. 
that nothing else in this life matters except making much of Christ and seeing more people come to know Christ and encouraging one another in Christ. And that becomes the motivation for them that God's going to supply and He has supplied everything that you need. That can be the reality of the Philippians. That can be the reality for us. It's possible because someone brought the gospel to you. And God, open up your eyes and your heart. And now, like the Philippians, I hope for us that we want to take the gospel to others as well. I want this to be the passion for our church, the heartbeat for our church. And maybe you're new to church or you don't yet know Christ. I hope that what you see and hear about in this is not, oh, here's another church talking about money and resources. No, I hope what you hear is that we have a worthy Savior who's worthy of investing all of our life in so that people might know him. And I hope that you would come to know him too. Experience the richness of his grace. And what an amazing picture, an amazing opportunity to glorify God and display the Philippians believe that they have a part to play in the mission of God to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth, an opportunity to display an absurd faith in an amazing God. See, like Paul, we can celebrate what God has done. We can give glory and thanks to him. But as we learn from the Philippians example, I also want to invite us to embrace our future opportunity for eternal investment. That we'd celebrate the things that God's allowed us to be a part of, but look forward in faith saying, God, where do you want us to continue to move forward to allow our generosity to continue to display our faith? In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus declares to us, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Sojourn Jesus has promised that he will build his church. He has done this and will continue to do this and he'll do it with or without us. And so I don't know about you, I, I don't want to miss out on this. I don't want to sit on the sidelines of what God is doing and what God is inviting us to be a part of. I want to be a part of a church that's radically generous like the Philippians, to be a radically generous church made up of radically generous people. And that word radical is, is, is important for us to think about. It's radical because it's so different than the way the rest of the world thinks. It's radical because it demonstrates that we believe that it's the, a mission worth investing in that we believe that Jesus is worthy and that he is building his church and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Brothers and sisters, the opportunity to do this is at hand. But taking a step of faith like this takes discipline and commitment. And discipline to choose to eternally invest in the mission of your church, believing that the return far outweighs the sacrifice and cost. This is especially challenging in a materialistic culture that we live in that is continually encouraging you to pursue comfort, continually encouraging you to pursue satisfaction, to meet all of your wants and place that as the highest priority of your life. But friends, there is freedom and joy when we seek to live radically generous lives. 2 Corinthians 9, again, Paul says this, the point is this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Again, false gospel says that means more money for you. Now what Paul's saying there is that when you sow into, when you're giving to this, you sow bountifully, God's going to continue to do things to take the gospel to more and more people. And then Paul says each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is an opportunity to display your worship, to display your heart, 
to display your faith. So where is God asking you to step out in faith? What might he be asking you to do? Brothers and sisters, this is a, it's a remarkable text that gives us some remarkable insight into the life and faithfulness of a struggling church. The Philippian church is about 10 years old and is modest and meager by most estimations. It's not a megachurch. It's not wealthy. It's a church that is striving and struggling to follow Jesus in a world that is set against him in his ways. And it's in the midst of all their struggles and all their temptations towards distraction that they exemplify what it means to be a radically generous church made up of radically generous people. Again, these brothers and sisters gave out of their poverty, not out of their abundance. And God is pleased by that. This text models something critical for us to reflect on for our own life, individually and as a community. It it gives us something critical to celebrate in our own church and something critical to cultivate more of. See, as a a six-and-a-half-year-old church that's striving to follow Jesus in a world that's still set against him in his ways, my hope is that we would live generous lives full of faith that are pleasing to God. I mean, what might God do if we said, man, God's allowed us to give $330,000 away in six and a half years? What if by the time we turned 10, we gave away $600,000? Seeing God work innocent through us in that way. Man, I love how this text ends. Look at verse 20. Paul's just been talking about generosity, and this is what he says. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul's response to their generosity leads him to give one of the most worshipful sentences in this entire letter. He gives praise to God. He's celebrating their generosity by giving praise and honor and glory to God who's been immensely generous, exceedingly generous to them, and has empowered them to be faithful to invest in the kingdom of God. He's lavished his grace on them, and so Paul rejoices. He praises God, and you and I can rejoice as well. You know, all that we've been given in Jesus, and now all we're able to give We can rejoice that we've been able to be a part of what God has been doing and is doing, but I want us to continue to be a part of this, to scheme for the kingdom of God, to give away more than we keep as we seek to value Jesus above all. The Philippians' example of radical, eternal investment serves as an invitation and an opportunity for you to be a part of something bigger than yourself. And so may may we as Sojourn Church be like the Philippian church, seeing our generosity increase in proportion to the grace we've received. And at the end of the day, as we seek to internally invest in all that God is doing in our city and all that God is doing in our world, my greatest hope for you is not just that your giving would match up with what you say you believe. My greatest hope for you is that your faith will increase all the more in this God who is great and worthy of our praise, who has supplied every need of yours to our God and Father. Be glory forever and ever. Amen. As we come forward now to take communion We have an opportunity to worship. We have an opportunity to focus our attention on the radical grace that we've been given. Again, 2 Corinthians, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. We eat this meal each week to be reminded and refreshed in how rich we've been made in Jesus. 
And so as you come forward to eat the bread, a picture of Christ's body broken for you, and drink the cup, a picture of Christ's blood shed for you, come forward to be lavished with grace and renewed in the covenant commitment that Christ has made to you. And may this morning be a moment for you to give thanks, to give thanks for all that you've been given in Jesus. And may God's radical grace in your life, may God's radical grace in the life of this church compel you to commit to making much of Jesus with all you have and all you are. Now, if you're sitting here this morning and you're knowing right now that you're claiming Christ, but you're not walking in faithfulness, that you have unrepentant sin in your life, I just want to ask you and implore you not to come forward to take communion, but I want you to, to reconnect with Jesus today, that you turn to him in faith and repentance this morning. And for those of you that are gathered here this morning that, that are not yet followers of Christ, that you're maybe just checking out who Jesus is, just checking out this whole church thing, I would also ask that you not come forward to take communion because what we want for you is not to eat the bread and drink the cup. We want you to experience Jesus, to take Christ. So you can pray in your seat. You can ask God to reveal himself to you. You can say, man, I want some of this Jesus that they're talking about. Well, come hang out with us over the next few weeks and months so we can help you understand what it looks like to know and follow Christ. If you have questions about that today, please come find me after the service. Reach out to someone sitting next to you. We'd love to help you know what it looks like to know Jesus. For those of you that will come forward, you can come to the tables at the front or in the back, tear off a piece of bread, take a cup to drink, and what Christ has done for you will be spoken over you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for your radical generosity towards us in Christ. God, I pray that you'd help us to reflect on that this week, and that by doing so, that you'd help us to be a radically generous church made up of radically generous people. I pray that you'd help us to be like the Philippians. In this moment, who Paul uses for us as we read this text and also uses as an example for the Corinthians. God, help us to be like them, to live a life that displays that we believe that you are at work in and through this church and churches all around us. May our offering be pleasing and acceptable to you. And may more and more people come to know and follow Jesus. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us, that you would guide us, and that you would change us. And that you would be honored by the way that we live the entirety of our lives. Thank you for your grace and your mercy in the midst of our struggles along the way. You are faithful and good, and we praise your name today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.